We're going to start today's session with a conversation with Mark Ackler from Math Ventures, and we are going to get to know both Mark as well as Math Ventures. Welcome, Mark. Great to meet you. Hi, welcome, and you know it's such an honor to meet you and and to talk to the audience. Uh, can't wait to engage in the conversation. Fabulous. Well, tell us about Math Ventures. What is the focus of your firm? How big is the fund? What size investors do you make? Let's get to know each other. Sure. So, Math Venture Partners. We're based in Chicago. We're a twenty-eight million dollar fund one. And we're just launching our second fund as well, which will be twice the size. In our first fund, mm -hmm. we make investments of 500000 to a $1 million. Typically, we're early-stage investors, so Series A and some seed investing. And our investment thesis is we love companies who understand how to sell. Mm -hmm. It sounds really easy. Right? Most entrepreneurs are smart. Most entrepreneurs can see a problem and solve it. And most entrepreneurs fail. And our joke is assuming the, the uh, unit economics and underlying business model makes sense, nobody ever went out of business because they had too many customers. And most entrepreneurs, we go to our sweet spot, our strengths. They're in technology. They're either technology experts or maybe they're financial experts. But very few know how to sell. And therefore, we love entrepreneurs who deeply and truly understand their customers, the language that their customers speak. And I'm not talking about English or Spanish or Hindi. I'm talking about the language of how they describe their business and their needs. And most importantly, how are you going to reach them? And we look for leverage in a sales model. That's what's most important to us. We invest primarily in the United States. We are mid because we're based in Chicago. We have a Midwest focus. We've made mm -hmm. 16 investments out of this fund. Six of them have been in the Midwest, but the rest of the our, our investments have been all around the country. Okay. You know, we have a meeting of the minds here because our philosophy is entirely customer immersion, paid customers. And, uh, you know, focusing on understanding the repeatable sales process. So if you look at our curriculum, we have this really evolved online curriculum at this point that has been in the market since 2010. It's chock full of selling and customer acquisition. We have this module called Sales 2.0, which is a very um, popular module that a lot of entrepreneurs use to, you know, Maybe you can get one or two customers, but can you actually build a business? Is there repeatability in the sales process? Can you right. really detect the sales process and figure out who is the buyer, how to reach that buyer, and, and so forth? So absolutely, we are completely on the same page with you. So talk a little bit about industry sector as well, um, B2B, B2C, what uh, – you know, what types of businesses do you like to invest in? And you're welcome to talk about the portfolio of 16 that you have invested in to give us a flavor of what's, uh, you know, what's interesting to you. Sure. So we, my background, I've been a CEO four times. I've started four different businesses and have built and scaled several businesses across multiple industries. So we are technology, software technology investors. 
But we're really interested across multiple sectors. So we like cybersecurity. We have a couple of portfolio companies in the cybersecurity world because we feel there's a great sense of urgency in that marketplace, obviously. Mm -hmm. We like fintech. So we have a couple of fintech investments. One you may have heard of called Acorns, which is doing very well. They're in L.A. Mm -hmm. We have an, another company, a cybersecurity company called uh, Red Seal. They're based in the Valley. Uh, mm -hmm. We love, we're B2B primarily, so 90% of our portfolio is B2B. We have a little bit of B2C. We like um, uh, marketing tech companies. We have some education tech companies. So we're, we're fairly, we have a healthcare company that's doing exceptionally well called Apervita. And that's another interesting, in terms of a sales model. So Apervita, uh, provides a, a, a data and analytics relationship manager for the healthcare industry. So if you think like mm -hmm. a CRM, a CRM mm -hmm. manages customers, this platform manages data and analytics. And they just announced a deal with the Joint Commission, which in America, the Joint Commission is the organization that um, certifies and audits every hospital in the country. And they have to go through this joint commission audit process or they're basically out of business because they're not eligible for Medicare reimbursement if they're not audited. And therefore, um, this particular company just signed, signed a deal with the joint commission, which is going to uh, provide Apervita to every hospital in the United States that goes through the JCO, the joint commission audit. Wow. Congratulations. That's a great deal. Oh, it's an awesome deal. Awesome deal. The, co the company still has to execute, but that's an example of compliance or leverage in a sales <coughs> model, right? And so that's, also, that's what we look for. Can you also double-click down for us into cybersecurity? Because, yes, cybersecurity has urgency. It is also, as a result, one of the most crowded markets of venture capital, and it has always been that way. I've been in this industry for more than 20 years, and it has always been huge amounts of cybersecurity investments and, and huge amount of cybersecurity startups. How do you parse cybersecurity? Well, I'll give you an example of the two portfolio companies that we have. One is called Now Secure, and they are the experts in mobile. So a mm -hmm. lot of threats. So if you look at utilization, there is more utilizations and transactions done through mobile than on the web. Mm -hmm. But if you look at resources, the vast majority of resources and infrastructure around cybersecurity are on the web. So if you, if you look at a CSO, a chief security officer at a large company, and you say, show me your headcount, the headcount and the budget is all web-based. But if you look at the activity, the activity is on mobile. So we think there's a real disconnect between where the threat is and where the resources are being spent. And so now Secure is one of the leaders in the industry around mobile security. We really like that a lot as a niche. Uh, Red Seal, another one of our portfolio companies, is doing exceptionally well. And they, as opposed to trying to block bad things from happening, what they do is they provide a very detailed map and analysis of every single device in a large network and how those devices and where those devices are connected. And so mm -hmm. it's shocking 
But many large organizations really truly do not have a map of each and every one of their devices and the interconnectivity between those devices. And that's what Red Seal, Red Seal does. We have covered Red Seal, so I know this company. So yeah. I'm going to switch gears and double-click down a bit on understanding your stage preference. And let me preface that by saying, you know, when, <laughs> when I was younger and uh, uh, raising money for my companies, we used to be in a simpler world where we had seed and we had Series A. But now we're not in that simple world anymore. This, the ecosystem has become very segmented. The early stage ecosystem has, very, has become very segmented. So you have friends and family, you have pre-seed, seed, post-seed, pre-Series A, and then Series A. So by the time you get to Series A, you well, quite possibly you could have raised five rounds of financing already. So where in that continuum do you like to play? What is your sweet spot? And what are the metrics that anchor a company to qualify for what, kind, what you are looking for in terms of stage? So, yes, it's true that nomenclature around stages are changing and evolving. And part of the reason for that is the time it takes to prove product market fit and the amount of money it takes to get to that place has shrunk considerably in the last 20 years. And so it takes far less money and it takes um, far less time to be able to prove. And so therefore, what we're seeing is shorter sprints, shorter fundraising sprints. From our vantage point, we're classic Series A, if you want to call it post-seed to Series A, but what we really like to see is some traction in that product market fit, that the company, the product is built, they understand pretty much who their customer is, they know how to sell, and what we're really looking for is momentum in the sales pipeline and an articulation of the sales strategy that is scalable and repeatable. So, so how, we had whatever. A, we had a, an investor last week who did a nice job of defining, I asked him what's the difference between post-seed and pre-series A. And he did a nice job of defining it. He, he says post-seed is, you know, validated, uh, business model, paying customers, you know, lots of proof points, but not velocity. And pre-Series A is all of those plus velocity. I thought that was interesting, so, so let me ask you that question. Do yeah. you play, if, you, if there is validation, customers, paying customers, revenues and everything, but the velocity part is not yet figured out, or do you require velocity already figured out in the system? That's an excellent way of differentiating. So the way I said it was um, momentum in the sales pipeline, which is another way of saying velocity, right? Yes, at, at the end I know, that's the, why I'm right, pressing on it. Yeah, so at the end of the day, we, yeah, we like velocity. You know, we like, we will make investments in that um, post-seed where the velocity is not quite there yet, 
we have certainly made some investments in that space. If we really like the team, if we really, there, there's a lot of factors that we have to believe in. But our preference and our sweet spot is we like it when there's velocity, when there is momentum in the sales pipeline, when there is provable, scalable way to generate growth, which is also another proxy for saying size and scale of the opportunity. There are a lot of wonderful companies out there that, as you had said earlier, they're just not appropriate for venture. And so right. we, right, so we just need to get an understanding, a deep understanding of the potential of the company, the potential of the market, and the team's ability to sell. So let me, let me give you a concrete example. In the last three years, we've met with 4,200 entrepreneurs mm -hmm. at my fund. We, see, we get pitched four or five times a day. The mm -hmm. vast majority of entrepreneurs, when they come and pitch, they say, our product does feature, feature, feature. Mm -hmm. And I stop them about halfway through, and I say, look, I, like, that's important, but I really don't care. I care a little bit. What I really care about is tell me from the voice of the customer, from the point of view of the customer, what problem are you solving? Why is that problem so urgent? And most importantly, how do you reach them? And how do you reach them in a repeatable, scalable way? And mm -hmm. the vast majority of entrepreneurs can't describe that. So you will never find a pitch from us that fits the first category that you described because we harp on this exact point is that no one cares what your product does. It, people care what problem you solve and how you solve it and what ROI you deliver by solving that problem. Yes, of course. So, uh, you know, I, the, the other comment I wanted to make on your, uh, your point about velocity is really the difference between a venture fundable company or a company that can fit the venture model and the company that needs to be built bootstrapped is the velocity. Yeah, and, and I would also, I would agree with that completely. And I would also argue, you know, there, in venture capital, we talk a lot about the jockey or the horse, how important the team is. And I'm definitely on the side that I will always opt for the great CEO the CEO makes, mm -hmm. you know, the, a great team will take a good opportunity and turn it into a great opportunity. But the flip isn't mm -hmm. always the, that, you know, that's not going to happen. And so a team is also an incredibly important element in this decision-making matrix. Yes. Having said that, the market is incredibly important. I have worked with great CEOs who have chosen kind of dud markets to work on. Sure, and you can't inject velocity into a dud market, however good a CEO you are. That is absolutely true. So it's a complicated matrix. But, you know, Very complicated also, matrix. But we also look for leverage, too. So I use the word urgency. I think, why, you know, why yes. is this problem so important that they're going to trust you, yeah. a startup, with this, you know, with this major critical issue. And so we're always looking for leverage. So whether it's an insurance company that says, we're going to raise your rates if you don't use this, or we're going to lower your rates if you do use it. 
or it's like that uh, Apravita example where the Joint Commission says, in order to fulfill your audit obligations, you must use this, right? Those types of opportunities where there is some kind of leverage, there's some kind of financial, whether it's compliance or it's uh, mm -hmm. uh, financial leverage, in some way, we like those types of opportunities too. Yeah. So what trends are you seeing in your deal flow? Um, so far you've described highlights from your portfolio that you've invested in. Of course, there's a continuous stream of companies that are coming to pitch to you. What are some of the trends that are showing up in the current deal flow? You know, it's, it's the typical um, we see from all over the spectrum. So we see a lot of big data and analytics. We see IoT. We're seeing a lot of fintech. Uh, we're, we see more B2B than we see B2C. In fact, I think the B2C deal flow is sort of diminished a little bit. And that could be in part because we're not B2C people. You know, that's not, yeah. we do a little bit. Um, see a lot in security. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's regular categories, but you haven't seen anything that is that stands out as a trend. I keep as asking people, have you seen anything that is popping? Like I remember, you know, some years ago, uh, everybody I talked to who are really keyed in into this uh, business in Silicon Valley, everybody I asked the question to was bringing up Twitter. Like there's this phenomenon going on called Twitter. And they're growing yeah. like crazy, and, and I'm like, is there anything like that bubbling in the system? But it doesn't seem like it right now. I don't see any game-changing platform. You know, and that happens once every 10 years, you know, whether yeah. it was a switch to cellular or a switch to web or switch to mobile. You know, there's nothing, in it, and they don't happen, or social media, right? These things happen, but they don't happen every year. You know, no, this no, is no. like a once-a-decade kind of fundamental switch. And there's nothing that I'm seeing at the moment um, yeah. that's sort of So the, the social media trends we started observing in the 2003-2004 time frame, um, in 2007, of course, smartphones when iPhone uh, came about. Um, and then I would say the big data trend really picked up in the late 2000s as well. and it really, you know, for, zeroed in on um, AI in yeah. just about a couple of years ago, and there's a lot of machine learning and AI. That pretty much summer, and of course, the cybersecurity threat, as I said, is running all the way through continuously and, and continues to run, will continue to run, because I think, especially with IoT, the, the vulnerabilities have magnified. So I think yeah. there is no escape from lots of cybersecurity threats. Yeah, we're also seeing a lot in blockchain. So yeah. you know, there's, mm -hmm. there's, there's an awful lot of conversation right now in all the various aspects of blockchain. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we're working hard to get our arms around that as well. Yeah. So uh, some you know, trend questions. How do you process the current investment climate where capital is moving further and further upstream. Yourself, you want to see velocity already in the company. So how does a seed investor or a pre-seed investor or an entrepreneur for that matter mitigate the Series A gap? Uh, there are a lot of companies that get 
pre-seed, seed, maybe even post-seed financing, um, but don't really hit that velocity stride. And what 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 is the destiny of these companies? How do how should they go about navigating their ways? Look, most companies fail for a reason. There are a lot of entrepreneurs out there. There are a lot of companies that are not sustainable. And I hate to be, so I've started four companies from scratch. I know one of them failed. I know how difficult it is personally, deeply, profoundly. But the answer is not every one of them is going to succeed, nor should they. And it is a really tough, hard market. There is a slightly nuanced um, perspective that I have on, on this question, you know, that I would like to share with you and then get your point. Some of these companies would succeed as a bootstrap company, but fail because they go after financing. Agree? Totally agree. I tell entrepreneurs this all the time. The very best place to raise money <laughs> is from your customers. Because of course, right? Yeah. We have a, a, a very nerdy equation. Entrepreneurship equals customers, revenues, and profits. Financing and exit are optional. <laughs> right. I, I, so in my four businesses, three out of four of the businesses I started from scratch, uh, three of them I was able to start the business without raising any money because I got it self-funded by customers. Okay. Perfect. Right. So. Yep. You know, that's the answer. And I'll tell you something else. We're at the top of a 10-year cycle right now in terms of our economy, in terms of access to capital. There's more capital sloshing around, certainly in the yeah, United well, States, yeah. for, for early stage. There will be a market correction. I don't know when. I don't know how, the, you know, how bad it will be. But our markets that are all-time highs, and we know that what goes up, eventually comes down. And when that market correction happens, cash is going to tighten up. So those companies that are dependent upon the next round of funding, in today's market where cash is relatively abundant, and what happens, you know, whenever that correction takes place, whether it's next year or the year after or whenever it happens, but when that happens and cash becomes much harder, you know, I've lived through, I don't look it, but I'm just about to turn 60. I lived through 87. I lived through 93. I lived through the dot-com crash and certainly the yeah. 08, 08, 09. I've lived through bad markets when markets turn and cash tightens up. And so yeah. I, one of the things I would tell all entrepreneurs is if you are completely and totally dependent upon the next round of funding, you should be really thoughtful about that. Well, and then I think the the truth is most Series A investors are looking for what you're looking for, which is velocity. And uh, if you haven't been able to achieve velocity, which is velocity is achieved by selling to customers, not by chasing investors. So if you are in fact, if you can achieve velocity, then the investors are chasing you because it's not so easy to find companies that hit their stride velocity-wise. Absolutely. So next question, which is also a trend question, how do you parse unicorn mania? As a seed investor or as, a, as an early stage investor, 
you could get buried under late stage liquidation preferences. Even as a Series A investor, if, if a company is really doing well and becomes a hot company and then gets absolutely flushed with funding later on, and we are seeing ridiculous amounts of money being raised by you know, private companies these days, 100 million, 250 million. How do you protect yourselves? That is an excellent question, and we worry about that a lot. So part of our investment thesis as a relatively small fund is we look for companies that are capital efficient. We have mm -hmm. a couple of companies in our portfolio that have raised larger amounts of money, but we worry about that. We worry about um, the more and more money that's raised and the preferences that sit on top of us. And as a small early stage investor, how do we protect ourselves? And therefore, part of our, our uh, investment thesis is those companies that are capital intensive that require tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars of money, those are companies that we tend to stay away from for that very reason. Is it a fair statement? Um, I'm reflecting on what you said in answer to my question, this question, as well as your uh, trend guidance on blockchain. Blockchain is expensive stuff to build, right? How do you, how do you, you know, mitigate the need for doing things in a capital-efficient manner, which we completely agree with, and uh, doing blockchain deals? So we haven't done one. So I, the answer is... Do you is, agree that blockchain is capital-intensive? Well, these ICOs, I mean, I, 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 we are conservative Midwest VCs, and I like to build real businesses with real revenue, with real customers, and... Um, it's early days for blockchain. I, and so for us, we're paying very close attention. We're reading and studying and, and talking to entrepreneurs and getting as educated as we possibly can. But so far, we're on the sidelines. And, yeah. and I'm, concern, I'm concerned about it. But that said, there seem to need to be some applications of blockchain that make a lot of sense. So take... Um, Music licensing, for example, where the power of uh, monetizing the music, you know, went from the artist to the label, back to the streaming uh, company platforms, and blockchain is a possibility to the technology that would actually empower the musician to take better control and understand and follow through to completion the utilization of their, of their end product and be able to monetize it. I think there's possibilities in blockchain and through various industries that we haven't even scratched the surface on, but it's really early days. Yeah. And we have, you know, our main philosophy is more aligned to what you are describing as yours is capital efficient, customers first. And none of those principles apply to blockchain. You know, we have right. entrepreneurs in the program who want to do blockchain, and, and they need to raise $65 million in, in one of these exchanges. And I'm thinking, how the hell do you do that? You know, it's not easy to do. And, 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 and your survival depends on something that is so out of your control and the probability of success is so low. You know, I, I'm a computer scientist. I'm, I think mathematically, and I, I'm like, if I can't enhance the probability of your success, it makes me feel very queasy. Right, of course, right. and so that actually brings up two points. So one, 
we we think that money's just money. We know that it's, and we're very respectful that it's hard for most entrepreneurs to raise capital, but it's just money. So we think our leverage, we're operators. You know, the last business I built was, uh, I was part of the executive team at Redbox where I was heading up innovation and we built it to $2.4 billion in revenue in five years. Mm-hmm. Like I know how to grow and scale businesses. And so we are deeply, deeply involved with our portfolio company. So it's not just our money, it's our time. And that's part of the leverage that we have. Yeah. So last question, and this, then we're going to switch to the mentoring portion. You know, one of my observations is that we are in 2017. Lots of stuff have been built already. And this I'm talking more in the B2B sphere. Nowadays, there aren't so many wide open opportunities out there, but there are many, many niche opportunities, and, and some of these are high velocity niche opportunities. Some of these businesses need to be built for very small amounts of capital, one to two million, sold for 10 to 15 million, or maybe even, you know, 250, 500K sold for five to 10 million. And then and the assumption there is that you get to a certain amount of proof points that there is appetite in the market for something that you have identified as an opportunity, but then you really go to market with that solution through somebody else's channel, so a strategic buys you. Do you have appetite for these types of investments? Probably not. So they're great investments, they're just not venture appropriate investments. You know, the typical venture model is you make 10 investments, one hits it out of the park, a couple do okay, and seven fail. Seven return less than 100% of the capital invested in them all the way to zero. That's the classic venture model. Our model is a little bit different because we focus on sales and customers, we apply our operating skills and leverage, and we think we're gonna have a much higher success ratio. But part of our investment thesis is that we look for companies that have the potential of much larger returns. And so these smaller companies are great companies. I would love nothing. You know, it would be wonderful to have a smaller company that has a a $10 million exit with minimal investment into it. And if I was the entrepreneur, I would be grinning ear to ear. But but that's just not appropriate for our investment thesis. That's not how venture capital Mm -hmm. works. Yeah, that was my question. Some We are um, talking to investors who don't want to do this, and there are investors who are actually specializing in that. Um, yeah, and, and part of the, the observation from them is that, you know, the smaller TAM, maybe there is velocity, but the TAM is smaller. This is a category that is open. And if, let's say, there is a $100 million, $150 million, $200 million TAM, that is actually a decent market for a, you know, a, a large company to acquire a piece of, you know, software and sell it using their channel and just beef up a, a product line. That's the thesis, and 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 people sure. are, you know, making good uh, good bets there. So just wanted to get your feel for that. Okay, well, great conversation, Mark. Really great conversation. Thanks, <laughs> Thank I appreciate you. it. Right back at you.